Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. Do you have your Bibles ready? Let's join together Romans 1 and 11. I have read this scripture uh, countless times, quoted from it, or quoted it. It's a very precious passage to me. Romans 1 and 11, Paul said, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you today and thank you for the privilege to preach your word. I ask you today, Lord, to let the authority and the anointing of the Holy Ghost just minister to our lives and strengthen us today. God, your word is true. It is forever settled. And so I pray today in the Holy Ghost that you will strengthen this word to our heart and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Happy to have Brother Corin with us today and amen, good to see Brother Daryl Jackson with us today, the Jackson family, glad that you're with us this morning. Amen, Romans 1 and 11. I wanna preach to you today from this thought. I wanna talk about the family of God, the family of God, because certainly that's what, uh, church is to us. It's, it's far more than just coming together and singing and things of that nature, but there is a family atmosphere and a family network that is cast forth. And so I want to uh, make several references this morning to the Apostle Paul, and uh, I just want to look at his affection toward the various churches through the epistles that he wrote uh, I certainly think that we can honestly say and see uh, that this affection is not just locked up in the heart of, of Paul, nor is it just locked up in the confines of the New Testament. But I believe that we see this same spirit and attitude prevalent among the church today. He said, I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift. I believe personally in the spirit of impartation. I, I believe that people can, um, can speak peace into our lives. I believe that people can uh, pray for us and, and, and certain things uh, be transferred, if you please, spiritually, and not just prayers and words that are said over us. But Paul said, I, I didn't just wanna come see you to pray at you, but he said, I long to see you that I might impart some good uh, spiritual gifts. I've got some things that I want to leave you and impress upon your spirit. With that said, and I don't want to meander too far away from my subject today, but with that said, that's why I am very careful about who I allow to lay hands on me and pray for me. Amen. I, I don't want just anybody praying for me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and I'm not trying to sound spooky, but I I just, I, I don't want that. I, I want to know that, that holy hands are gonna be praying for me and things of that nature. 
And uh, I, I mean that I believe that someone literally can and has many times in my life spoken things, uh, prayed for me, and, and I receive things from them. Now, it, it's evident from the writings of Paul, if you've studied any of his writings and anything about his life, we know that Paul was one of the most educated uh, of the apostles and certainly most likely one of the most educated of all the writing contributors to the word of God. Paul was a very eloquent speaker and, uh, and just despite himself, many times when we read uh, especially the introductions and then the closing remarks of the epistles, uh, Paul has some pretty eloquent words as he just greets, uh, as he greets each and every congregation. But I don't think that Paul was just trying to wax eloquent for the sake, for the sake of waxing eloquent. I don't think he was trying to just bowl somebody over in particular. Um, I believe that what we really see when we study the life of Paul and especially in his letters or the epistles to the churches, I believe that, that we see the heart of a shepherd as Paul begins to address not only, not only churches in particular, but also as he addresses individuals that he worked with in the ministry. He doesn't just say that he missed them when writing to the church in Rome, but he also says, I long to see you. I yearn to see you. I, I ache in my heart. There's just something about that. And um, I, I'm sure that all of us have people in our lives that we long to see. When there's an absence, when there's some form of separation, we long to see them. As a matter of fact, that's how Sister Boyd and I discovered that we were really in love. That's the truth. And uh, she wouldn't admit it and I wouldn't admit it. But we, we had not a planned separation, and not a, uh, but we, uh, we separated for, for Thanksgiving one year. I came up here to see my family, and she was with her family, and it was in that little season of being apart that we started. I don't understand what Paul's talking about. I longed to see her, and she longed to see me, and after that, we started making plans differently and thinking a little bit differently, and, and so from that moment until now, you have people in your life that you really miss them when they're gone. Huh? I mean, your neighbor can get up and go to work, and you may not think a whole lot about that, but there are certain people that leave and exit your life, even if it's for a matter of hours, that by the day's end, you just long to see them. And I think that's what Paul was talking about. It was the heart of a shepherd that said, I long to see you. He leaves little doubt in his writings and I think little doubt in the minds of the reader about his affection toward the church. We can also see this kind of language used in various other places and other writings to other people. He uses the same passionate, I will say freely, passionate language. For example, in Philippians 4 and 1, we, we find similar. He said, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And so there's very little doubt about Paul's affection and his ability and willingness to share his affection. I, I just don't buy into the idea that you tell somebody you love them and then just tell them if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. I think that we ought to, I think we ought to bathe people with the affection that we have for them. And that, that ought to be something that's evident. 
Our friends, our companions, our children, they ought not have to guess where they stand as far as the affection in our heart. And you know what? You can say it. It won't kill you and you won't pass out. You won't catch some dreaded disease. Say it. Amen. I want the... My wife says something, I may not get this exactly right, and so I'm borrowing this quote from her, but I like it. She said, I want to love you so strong that when I'm gone, you still feel the imprint on your heart. There you go. And so I want to love you so strong that when I'm gone, you still feel the imprint on your heart. I, I like that. And she says that to me every day. You're talking about losing a whole congregation just like that. I was like, what? (laughs) That's why you need to stay connected. You need to stay connected. You don't ever know what the preacher's gonna do. He'll slip something in on you. But but that's true, The, (laughs) the affection. All right, let's come back to church. Hey man, the affection that, that, that ought to be just resonating in our heart toward one another. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed to say that. And, and so to our children, our loved ones, I, I don't want to stand with huge regret that I never shared with them how I felt about them. And, and uh, someone said it uh, you know, many, many years ago, we ought to give people their flowers now. I mean, give them their flowing words now and not just when they're gone. Again, if we go to 1 Thessalonians Uh, Chapter three and verse six, we see again more of Paul's writings and I'm not gonna belabor the issue, but this scripture and one more. First Thessalonians three and six, he says, but now, to the church at Thessalonica, he said, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. So Paul said when Timothy came home and he told us that not only he brought good tidings of your faith and what you're doing and of your charity and how the church is doing, but he said that also he told us that when when you think of us that you have good remembrance or good memories of us and you desire greatly to see us. And so now we see not affection just flowing in one direction, but there's an ebb and flow of of affection and so also he said and we also to see you or in other words the feelings are mutual and so when we get together it'll be a great day and then once more we see uh, something similar as Paul writes specifically to Timothy who was of course his protege in the gospel first second Timothy rather one and four Paul said greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. Now, I realize that every one of these passages of Scripture, really, in all truthfulness, they don't need the strength of one another to have a very impacting message. All of these Scriptures, every one of these as it could be taken as a text, all of its own, and from there preach a very powerful message from all four. So I'm not trying to take anything away from that at all, but I, I wanted them read together so that we could see something that I feel like is the common denominator and that is the fact that Paul had a desire to connect with his family of God. Amen. There was something in Paul's life that was missing when they were separated and so all of these are instances of of being separated for the cause of the kingdom and um, he, he, he wanted to 
Let them know I long to see you. That word, he addressed many of them. And, uh, and that way, I, I want to see you. I long to see you. And, and uh, I think this longing, this desire is a God-given desire. I don't think that's just something that we learn how to do or that we're coached into doing, but that's a God-given desire. If we roll the scriptures all the way back to the book of beginnings, and in the book of Genesis, we find uh, the certain aspects of the first portions of the book of Genesis chapter one in, the, in what we call creation, in the creation of God. God would create on a day and then rest at the end of that day. And we've, we see that, that God would say things like, it is good. At the end of his creation, he would, he would declare, it is good. Or it is very good. And uh, we see that common denominator. And then in chapters two and verse eight, we see for the very first time that God states something wasn't good. And you know where I'm going with this. All of this is wonderful. Some of this is good, and some of it he denoted as very good, but he said in all of this goodness, there is something that's missing, and it's not good for man to be alone. To feel alone is a terrible thing, and I am speaking, I'm, I'm thinking to many, many people who have experienced this at some point in your life or another, and when I'm talking about being alone, I'm not just talking about uh, the absence of a crowd because you can be alone in a crowd. And so the answer altogether is not just surrounding yourself with other human beings or other warm bodies. I know it's been said hundreds of times, but we really are not islands. We were never created to be alone. But God put in us a desire, a passion for one another, a natural love. I've taught before that people have three fundamental desires, and that's a desire to believe, a desire to become, and a desire to belong. You're gonna find that in every creature. There are just those fundamental desires to believe, to become, and to belong. People want uh, to believe in something, and they want to have the ability to become something, and they want certainly the ability to belong to something. I was listening to a, a message, I think, last week, and uh, the, the preacher began to point out something that was, that was and is quite obvious, I suppose, to all of us, that, that inside of our heart, as it has often been stated, there is a God-shaped void or an absence. There is a desire in every creature to worship, in every human being, rather, to worship. And so that's why when you drive or fly to the most remote parts or regions of our world, you find people that don't know anything about Jehovah God, but they worship the sun or they worship the cow or they worship a rock or something. Why? Because in us is this innate desire to worship, to believe in something that is beyond yourself, uh, beyond your ability, beyond your strength. And so we all desire to believe, become, or belong. We want to belong to something or to someone. And so Paul longed for people even when he did belong. He was a part of the family of God and certainly was an intricate part of all of the lives that are spoken of here or referenced here. But even though he belonged, in theory, he still longed to see them. And I have, I have said this many times through the years, but I am very serious when I say it. I'm thankful for the fact that before service, uh, there, there are people that are, are just talking and fellowshipping and the laughter and, and, and folks just act like they haven't seen one another for years on end and it's just been a few days. 
And then when service is over, uh, I, I know some people will run over you getting out of the parking lot, but, but for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, people are just hanging around and it's just, just, just talking and laughing and reminiscing about as though we're not gonna see each other again for a long, long time. And I think that's, that's good signs of health. <clears throat> you love one another, at least you wanna be together. Amen. Well, I was hoping for a little bit harder, amen, that, but maybe I'm reading the wrong thing into that. But it's a good sign of health that we wanna be together. You are a part of the body of God. You wanna be here. And, and you know what? You're not here under duress. No one held a gun to your head this morning. You're here because you desire. I think desire to, to have something from God, receive something from God. But I think a part and parcel of why we came is we desire to see one another. And we miss someone when they're not here. There's just something absent there. And so there is this uh, created interdependence, there in, this interdependence. And so in, in Romans 1 and 11, Paul longed to be with people because he said not just to hang out and chew the fat. He said, I've got something that I long to give you, a, a spiritual gift that I want to impart into you. And so we see then from that this strange interdependence between a student and the teacher or vice versa. And that same interdependence, I truly believe is found between a pastor and a congregation. And I say this humbly, but I, I do say this sincerely. I really pray that I feel and meet that need in the life of this congregation. And I'm not saying that for an amen, but I'm saying that humbly and I can tell you as a matter of fact that you certainly feel that spot in my life, that need that's in my life. I've often said, and, and not just here but other places, that I don't ever remember a time in my life that I didn't feel the call to preach. And as far back as in, in my memory as, as it will go, there was not a moment or a, a time or uh, some specific event. I just always remember feeling a call to the ministry upon my life. Now, granted, I didn't always act like and live like I had a call on my life, and uh, some of you know that well. But nevertheless, the call was there. Uh, now, while I always felt called to the ministry of some sort, I didn't always feel called to pastor. From my earliest years, I can remember feeling like and being confident that we would evangelize for at least a portion of our lives or my life and, and, uh, and I didn't always feel a call to, pa to pastor. For many years, I served in other capacities as far as ministry is concerned. Early on, I started out serving as a minister in a local church that I was attending and in that capacity, I held several different positions within the church, Sunday school teacher, Sunday school superintendent, uh, church bus driver and, and uh, chief cook and bottle washer and several little things that went along with all of that. It was even during that particular period of my life in ministry that I was exposed to organizational leadership and uh, was very honored to be able to serve in uh, some capacities within our district as district youth president and things of that nature. And then we spent a few years traveling, of course, as evangelist, but through the process of time, in the process of time, and uh, I, I know specifically the events, and not get into all of that, but know specifically the events that God used in our lives to awaken in us uh, at least the idea or the thought of pastoring. 
And uh, that began to awaken in me and a desire. And, and I have to say that that was a God-given desire. That wasn't something that I just woke up yearning to do day after day after day. And so with that call, God gave me something uh, very unique I had never experienced beforehand. Uh, God gave me a need, a desire to serve as never before, a desire to lead and a desire to teach and a desire to love in a different capacity. Now, I don't try to say that to imply that I wasn't serving or leading or teaching or loving prior to that, but God just began to wake something up in me. Does that make sense at all? And something began to awaken in me. I didn't always see these abilities in my hands. As a matter of fact, many, many times really struggled with that. I don't know how... Uh, I will be able to, to do this particular role or that particular role and, and uh, struggled many years with some of those things as far as teaching and, and being an example and things of that nature. And so I think I know, uh, having said all that to say this, I think I know what Paul was trying to say. I really do. I think I can say the same thing, that, that I long for you and I need you. You feel some void in my life. That fair enough? I'll explain to you how this kind of works, if you, if you please. That, that the gift and call of God is without repentance. And so if the Lord has called me to be a, a preacher or if God has called me to be a pastor, then somewhere between Sunday and Wednesday, the Lord begins to deal with me about something. And so by Wednesday... I'm just talking about typical, not certainly suggesting I've never had dry seasons. But by Wednesday, I've got to discharge what God has given me. Amen. You know why? Because there's another message coming. And so when the Lord lays something on my heart and I begin to put it together in either a format of preaching it or a format of teaching it, whatever it may be, then somehow there's a message, there's a word that comes through and I believe that God speaks universally to the church. I don't mean that by that that I think every pastor is saying the same thing, but I do believe that there are seasons of times that God is speaking a word to the church. And so if the Lord gives me that word, gives me a message to preach, then I obviously need a congregation to preach it to, to teach that to, to lead, to love. And so I long for you. I need you. I need you. There are churches where uh, the relationship between a pastor and the people is, is not kind and it's not warm and fuzzy, but it's rather hostile and antagonistic to say the least. Amen. One, one writer said it best when he penned these words, he, speaking about that, he said perhaps he, talking about the pastor, berates from behind the pulpit and they belittle behind his back. And what a terrible thing to be in an, in an antagonistic relationship. And that's a two-way street. And so, uh, you know, we need to learn how to appreciate what God has given us. I think that, that there ought to be a good, warm relationship and there ought to be fellowship. And so uh, we need to understand that I'm gonna make mistakes and you're gonna make mistakes. And in the process of it all, we're gonna learn from that and we're gonna grow together. And uh, so as a husband, I've made mistakes. And as a father, I've made mistakes. But I'm glad 
that my wife and son didn't just hold me to such a high standard that the first time I made a uh-oh, I just got set outside of the road. Because if that were the case, none of us would have a title, period. We would just be human being out by the trash pile. Because we've all made mistakes. We've all made wrong decisions. We all did what we thought was right under the circumstances. But in the process of time, that was either proven to be true or proven to be untrue. And so we have to move uh, move together in unison. I remember uh, many years ago preaching for a, a, a very harsh uh, probably one of the most, um, um, probably harsh, I guess is the right word, but probably one of the most um, harsh, crusty men that I, I had ever met. I had really never before this particular moment been exposed uh, to something quite like this. When church was over, the church service was uh, very volatile, to say the least, and when the service was over, I guess he felt some need to try to explain all the madness that had just happened, and uh, so he just told me quite gruffly, uh, he said, I just don't have the heart of a shepherd. And when he said that, I did something very uncharacteristic for me. I spoke before I even thought. I try to think things through. I'm not always successful. But before I knew what hit me, I told him, I said, then you ought to resign. Because if you don't have the heart of a shepherd, you will kill these sheep. Amen. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Amen. And so I pray that the Lord will help us to always have the right characteristic and, and the right attitude. I, I don't believe that God intended for a pastor-congregation relationship to be incompatible. Amen. No, never. It's, it's not, it shouldn't be incompatible. We're never going to see things eye to eye. And I've always used this illustration. If, if you turn somebody eye to eye, they can't get a lot accomplished. But if we turn people shoulder to shoulder, we can march through a lot of things and we can conquer a lot of things. But if we want to go through life trying to see things eye to eye, you're going to be alone because your, your, your companion don't see eye to eye with you. Hate to offend your ego, sir. <laughs> and and, and, and ma'am, but we don't see eye to eye. Our children don't see eye to eye and on and on and on. And so our goal is not to just try to see every little intricate thing eye to eye, but if we can be invested into the cause enough, the at-large cause enough to stand shoulder to shoulder, amen, then we'll march forward and let the spirit of the Lord lead us because we are a family. And as a family of God, just like a natural family, you've got to learn how to overcome obstacles that come in your life. You've got to deal with it. You woke up to that. And so you have to realize, I must deal with it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to deal with this, but this is nevertheless what happened in our, the dynamics of our family. And so I trust that we can have this interdependence. And so with that said, I trust that I can convey, uh, not just from behind this desk, how much I love you and appreciate you. I don't want to just say that from behind the pulpit and then live a life different to that, but I hope that love is sensed wherever we are and wherever we meet. I feel very honored. 
I say this publicly, not just here, but I feel very honored to be able to serve as the pastor of this congregation. I mean that from my heart. And so thank you for being the kind of congregation that a pastor can love, or as Paul said, long for. You know, there, this is sad but true, there are some men that work as much overtime as they can. And it's not because they're money hungry. But they're trying to wait till the last minute to get home. And there are some ladies that, that do the very same thing because they know the antagonistic spirit in relationship that lies once you push that door closed behind you. And that's a sad, sad, sad thing to just detest one another. And I, I wouldn't want to be a part of that kind of congregation. I, I wouldn't want to be a part of that, that kind of relationship of any sort. And so what Paul had was a healthy but interdependent relationship with these people. It was healthy, but he said, I still need you. I'm separated from you, but I need you. And because of that, he longed to connect with them again. I hope I haven't spent too much time on this first part here. He didn't just want to see them so he could hang out, as I said a moment ago. He said, I need to see you because God has given me something that I need to impart unto you. And so I, he didn't just give this to me for me, but he gave this to me to share. And so I must discharge that, so to speak, and give that to you. He had to fulfill his calling. <laughs> he had to give something away because he had received something from God and his, he was just part of the conduit that then in turn imparted that. Then in Philippians, as I read a moment ago, he said, therefore, four and one, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And so he said, I, I long to see the church in Philippi because they are my joy and my crown. Amen. Guys, you ought to try that tomorrow night when you get home. Well, there is my joy and my crown. Now, if you hadn't been living up to that, you might never be ready to dodge a pot or a pan or something, but nevertheless, we ought to try some of this every now and then. My joy, <laughs> my joy and my crown. I'm gonna do it publicly and so she won't cut up my joy and my crown. I, Let's do it in the safety zone here. My long for, my loved. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, he said. So he longed to see the church because he said, I don't just see you as a job or a responsibility. I, I don't just see you as something that I gotta do because the Lord gave me something and I gotta walk here to the pulpit with some spirit of, uh, of, of angst in my heart. Amen. But he said, these people literally bring joy to my life. They they literally, Literally, they literally stand as the crown jewel of my life. And so Paul enjoyed their fellowship. Now, I have no idea exactly how all of the end time and how it all is going to play out, but I, I do know that we have examples uh, in Scripture uh, about certain things. And uh, <clears throat> the Scripture says in the book of Genesis how that uh, Abraham sent Eleazar, his servant, and he said, I want you to come and I want you to go and find a bride for my son Isaac. And then he said, I want you to put your hand under my thigh. And, uh, and, and that was, uh, that was a, a sign or a token of uh, a covenant. And he said, I want you to ensure that you will get my bride of a certain group and, and not this and that you will go and return with a bride. And I've often read that passage of scripture how 
uh, how incredible that journey was that Eleazar, uh, he, just, he, he just asked all the right questions. He said, well, what if this and what if that? Said, no, no, no. So he left with absolute clear instructions on what he was to do and how he was to do it. And so when Eleazar gets to where uh, his destination, he gets to the final point, the scripture says that he had prayed and said, whatever maiden comes and, and offers not only to, to water, to give me water, but also to water my camels, let that be, let that be the one. And certainly in just a matter of time, here come this damsel and she offered just that to give him water and then to also water the camels. Many years ago, I preached about that and, and remembered how many gallons of water that would have been approximately just to, to water those camels, but she was willing to do that. And then when they went to her home and then they began to explain what was going on and her family asked her this question, here's a strange man and, and will you go with him? And she said, I will go. She didn't say, how long is this gonna take? I mean, what's the travel arrangements? Am I gonna be able to ride in first class? None of the above. She just said, I will go. And it was a long and arduous journey, many miles across the desert. And so this was not just some uh, easy journey or easy trip, but she made it all the way. And I don't know how that journey went. I, I'm not sure at all what the conversations may have been like because Eleazar had already made the trip. He had already gone this way. And so I'm sure perhaps along the way he could point out to her he could point out to her objects of hope. You know, well, I, I remember passing by here. And so, you know, it, it's probably only X number of days from here now. And, and just words of encouragement when she got tired or when she got weary. Perhaps there was, there was little villages or hamlets that they went through and he would say, you know, I remember coming through here. And there was another word of encouragement just to keep the bride encouraged. Are you with me and where I'm going here? Amen. I, but there was finally, they, they topped the crest of one hill. And, and, and when they topped the crest of that one hill, there was that husband to be. There was that groom to be. He was standing there waiting. And, and I just imagine, I'm talking about now from a shepherd's point of view, I just imagine that, that when he saw them embrace, Amen. I, there had to be such an incredible feeling to think I, I, the job is uh, done, the journey is over, and mission accomplished. And and you know the scripture says of the of the pastor that I'm going to have to give an account. And so that's why I take serious walking to this pulpit, and and that's why I I love people sometimes enough to sit down with them and say, wait, we we can't keep doing this. You can't keep walking that way. Why? Because if you're calling me your pastor. I'm gonna to have to give an account. These, these are not titles we just toss about, but I'm gonna to have to give an account for your soul. So I got account for me. That's, that's enough right there. But then he said, I got account now, account for you. And so that's why I wanna stand without fear and favor. I hope to have a friend in every one of you. But you know what? Way before I am your pal, I've gotta be your pastor. Amen. And so hopefully we can do all of that in, in conjunction. Hopefully we can stand arm in arm. And I told my son, and still tell him from time to time, I wanna be your friend. I wanna be your pal. But I'm your father. And so I, I've, I've gotta speak. I've gotta got see when things are wrong. I've gotta 
does speak into your life. Certainly, as a minor child, I have to do that. And, and uh, I pray, God, that we can be friends and that I can be your father, but, but we've got to keep that prioritized. Does that make sense? And so I want to be your friend, but I, I have a mandate first. Long before I'm a husband, long before I'm a father, long before I am a nephew, or long before I am this, that, or the other, I am a pastor. And so I say, God, give me the courage to stand without fear and favor. And this message is not about me. I'm just trying to point out our responsibility in the family of God. Somebody has to make the decisions. Somebody has to make hard decisions. Amen. And everybody wants to make the easy decisions. I've noticed that. Little subtle hints. I just noticed that from time to time. But nobody wants to make the hard decisions. You know, there, there, there have been times in, in times past, and I'm just venting here for just 30 seconds and I'm done. But there have been times past I wanted to step to this pulpit when it was just rain and fire and say, now who wants to be the pastor? See all these bullet holes? Now who wants to be the pastor? You see this puddle of blood I'm standing in now? Who wants to be? Blah, blah, blah. Amen. Well, Lord Jesus, forgive me for all that. Don't even know where that came from. Amen. Paul enjoyed their fellowship. Everybody, let's move on. They were his crown. That was another way. Another way, he said, they're my reward. They're my reward. What, what, what comfort, what peace Eleazar must have felt whenever finally he saw their warm embrace. I don't know what heaven's gonna be like, but I believe, here's what I believe, and please don't interrupt my train of thought here now by telling me some sad, indifferent story. But I believe if God allowed Eleazar to see that, and reward him, I believe that somehow, some way, God is gonna allow every shepherd to be able to see the family of God that, that was given their charge. I believe that somehow there's gonna be a, an ability to see that warm embrace. Amen, that's my little, that's my little hallmark moment there for, for the time being. We, we talk about uh, changing the world here. We talk about at least changing our world. David said he, it was said of David rather, that he served his generation. And so we talk a lot about impacting the world in which we live, impacting the, 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 those around us. And, and we talk about doing that together as a family, as a unit. We often talk about being on a mission together. And because of that, we serve in various ministries of the church together. We work as a team. And these are things that we value. However, I think it runs a little bit deeper than that. I really think that we know there are things that we're supposed to accomplish for the kingdom of God. There's some things that are just in us. We know that we are on a, a schedule. We're, on a, we're, we're working towards something. Our reward is not when we accomplish one thing or when we just check off one item of our to-do list of ministry, but it's the fact that we it is the fact that we get to do them together, that together we do that. And so that's why I involve, I urge you rather to involve yourself with some ministry team within the church. Serve with other people. There is, there's something powerful that can happen in that. You know what? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron and in the process of that we change, we enhance the countenance of our friends. And yes, it is true that when iron sharpens iron, sparks fly sometimes, but you know what? If we'll all be adults about it and we'll all be grown up about 
about it, somebody might actually bring something to the table to change your thought process to change my thought process. And so we get great satisfaction or we'll get greater satisfaction out of accomplishing the work and knowing that we are helping to make a difference in some lives. A few Thursday nights ago, I sat in a class watching Brother Jerry Herndon as he taught a Bible lesson. I sat there with Brother Donnie Osborne and Brother Chris Osborne and I just can't, not for the sake of this sermon, I really sincerely can't explain to you the satisfaction uh, that came into my life just knowing that we were there as a team. This wasn't just one man out on the limb by himself, but as a team, we walked in. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'll be very, very clear here. I want you to understand that I wasn't, I didn't get that warm and fuzzy feeling because I was the speaker. And I didn't get that warm and fuzzy feeling because Brother Donnie was the speaker or Brother Chris was the speaker because none of us were the designated teacher for that night. Amen. Brother Jerry Herndon was the designated teacher for that night. And so we weren't there because we got to hold the microphone. We were, <laughs> we were just there because we, were, we want to represent some form of togetherness, a team effort. This is, this is representing our church, our whole congregation, but we're going as a team. We were there because we desired to work together, amen, together. And there's so much satisfaction out of working in harmony with other people, getting involved in ministries. That You know what I've watched through the years when people get involved in some sort of team effort, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, you, you may be on one of the teams. We have teams that, uh, that serve during certain events and teams that clean up uh, after certain events. And so you, you may be on a, a team that's not teaching in some uh, natural form of ministry, but you may be just working to put together a meal or you may be working to clean up. And you know what I've watched through the years? I've watched people that really didn't even know one another. Uh, I mean, through vacuuming the carpet, through cleaning the kitchen, begin to develop and forge relationships and something's born. And you begin to see something in someone that you really didn't even know existed because you just, you just saw them from across the way and you didn't really realize their keen wit or that sense of humor or, or you didn't realize what a great organizer they were and you began to view people differently. And that all happened as an end result of working together. And working together, you know, when you're working together, in the, I've been in the kitchen working together with a team and you know what happens? You step on one another's toes, you bump into one another and somebody else's bumps into you and causes you to slosh something. It, that's all part of it. Don't throw down the pan, just wipe up what's spilt. And let's move on. Why? Because I'm going to get so much more out of this if I just stay with it because we're the family of God. The family of, the family of God. Amen. A, a few weeks ago now, we had some type of fellowship. I, I don't really recall which, what it was, maybe a fifth Sunday dinner or something. But on that particular Sunday, some of the regular people who are instrumental in organizing and cleaning up behind those events were absent. And so I, I watched what appeared to me, I didn't inquire into this, but I just watched what appeared like to me that uh, there was one lady in particular that was just working like there was no tomorrow. And it just seemed like that, 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 that uh, a lot of things had fallen her lot on that particular day because of the absence of other people. 
And so at the end of the day, at, at the end of the event, uh, I just mentioned something to her at the end of it all. And I just said, I want to thank you. I, it just seemed like every time I, you're either going 100 miles an hour this way or 100 miles an hour back that way. And every time I've looked up today, I see that you're very, very busy. And I said, I just want to thank you for all you've done today. And without hesitation, she looked at me quite matter-of-factly and said, it's not a chore for me to serve my brothers and sisters. You, you don't need to thank me for that. She wasn't reprimanding me, but she just said, you don't need to thank me for that. Why? We're the family of God. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I'm happy to have been early and stayed late. I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. This is the family of God, and we're, we're working for that. And so I felt very humbled by that statement. And, and uh, now as we, we move to the next passage I read, I, I want us to see a, maybe a different type in Thessalonians 3.6. He said, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that how you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us. And then he summarized it, in other words, as we also to see you, or the feelings are mutual. Paul had heard from Timothy and how much the church missed him. So Paul writes to let them know how much he missed them as well. He longed to share in their faith and he longed to share in their love of God and he longed to see them again. <clears throat> this passage reminds me of the various forms of communication that we have today. I mean, we're, we're very, very fortunate. Just a few generations ago, had nowhere near the contact that we have today. I remember certainly when I was a young man, we had the telephone. I'm not quite that old, but I do remember having a telephone out here when it seemed like we had a party line and it seemed like the three surrounding counties were on it. <laughs> And you talking about your business being in the street overnight. There'd be people listening and you know, after a while you just hear somebody breathing into his way. All of a sudden, you, you realize it's like being in a closet with someone. You're like, oh my goodness alive, I am, I am not alone. And uh, you guys remember that, don't you? It's me getting private phone lines. That was, oh my Lord, are you kidding? We were just right uptown. What are you talking about? And so uh, we've come a long, long way. And so with all the venues we have today of communication uh, for the people that we don't see that often, it's really quite a, a wonderful tool. And, and so for all of its eels, I'm not here to promote this this morning, but for all of its eels, Facebook has been a convenient, and other things like that, has been a convenient tool to help me reconnect with people that I haven't been able to see for many, many years. As a matter of fact, my wife and I, through uh, our friends and their families, their, their posts and their pictures, uh, Jackie and I have been able to stay apprised of their lives. Otherwise, that would have all been lost to us. Amen, we've been able to watch some of their children and then some of their grandchildren as they just grow up online. And so a really neat thing. Regrettably, some people abuse these venues for the bad and not the good, amen. But you know what? In all reality, that could be said for a lot of things. <laughs> just last night, somewhere in this beautiful United States of America, somebody used a knife to cut their steak and somebody else used a knife to take a life. But because somebody don't know how to use it, I'm not throwing away all the knives. Amen. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the proper use of the oven. 
And the careful use of them, one of, matter of fact, a few days ago, <laughs> a few days ago, one of our great friends, uh, pastor's wife in, in the district and a great friend of my wife, uh, she, she was, uh, had a picture of, on Facebook, a picture of her hand all gashed open and, and uh, then another little picture followed with the stitches and the big bandage and then at the, in the bottom of all this was the caption, she has two young twin boys and she was teaching her sons how to safely close a pocket knife. <laughs> and we have been so kind to her about that. We don't bring it up hardly ever at all. And, uh, <laughs> but there it was. This, this is how I was safely teaching my son to safely close a pocket knife. And Lord, I don't know, 17 stitches later, here she is. I actually saw a YouTube video just a few weeks ago kind of making its way around where a church recorded a song, You Need to Keep Your Business Off of Facebook. <laughs> and if you haven't seen that, Google it. I don't want us to learn the song. <laughs> but I do want us to get the message. We will thank them and we'll send them an offering for doing it, but we won't want to get involved in all that. But keep your business off of Facebook is what somebody in the church felt compelled to write. Yeah, I just imagine there's a story behind that. I would imagine there's a story. Paul wanted to catch up with a few people that he loved and we long to connect with people who share our lives and those lives that we can share. We share our joys and with our real friends, we can also share our sorrows. Amen. We've rejoiced through the years together. Yes, we have. But we sure cried a lot through the years together. We've celebrated the births of new babies and grandchildren and, and we've rejoiced in that. We've rejoiced at the graduation services and ceremonies and we've rejoiced about a lot of accomplishments through the years but this same family has also stood hand in hand surrounding a casket and a family that was there suffering some devastating loss and so that's why Paul said rejoice when people rejoice and learn how to weep when they weep. Amen, what a great family, what a great family. Finally, 2 Timothy 1, 4, I'm coming in for a landing. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. So as you read the epistles, understanding this, that Paul, we find him at various points of his life. And when we get to this point, this is a glimpse of the final phase of this great apostle Paul's ministry. The glimpse of Paul just before his death. He penned words to his son in the gospel. And you can just sense a maturing to his words here. He's not longing to be with Timothy because he wants to teach him something. He's not just wanting to be there to have fellowship with him. We often use the phrase rubbing shoulders with one another. I like what one writer said. Paul here in this passage was saying to Timothy, I long to rub souls with you. I've got some parting words. Toward the end, Timothy had to lean in, I'm confident, to hear the waning words of the Apostle Paul. This denotes a maturity in their relationship, a kind of relationship that didn't, doesn't just come overnight. It doesn't just happen in five years or 10 years, but it was some sweat and blood and tears and highs and lows and now, now with measured breaths, Paul is speaking some things into the apostle, the apostle Paul is speaking some things rather into the young life of Timothy. 
just last minute instructions. Amen. So that is part of the reward of the family of God. And so I want to get connected. I want to get connected. Amen. I listen for things in the conversations of people and their talk and how they refer and how they respond because you can tell a lot about where people are in the family, in their relationship by their conversations. Amen. I, I want people to feel like this is my church. Amen. I want you to feel like it's your church, in other words. Amen. And, and in order to do that, you have to sail through some stormy seas. You have to be invested in this thing to say, you know, whatever it takes. I, I don't want to just be here when everything's wonderful, but I want to I be able to endure when everything is not wonderful. Amen. So we think about these four passages of scriptures and there are some common denominators. We see that desire for interdependence, that longing of one another and that, that also the desire to just catch up. Tell me what's been going on. You Tell me what's been going on in your life. Let me tell you what's been going on in mine. A desire to know that they're okay and then, and then that mature place in their life where Paul said, I just want to be with you, with you. These passages serve as a guidepost to us and they share with us several things in common. Let's stand together. First, they reflect relationships where people are willing to risk in order to be a part of the community. You have to risk. You have to risk highs and lows. You have to risk acceptance and rejection. You have to risk everything not going your way. Amen. You have to risk that. They were willing to risk being needed, also willing to risk needing someone else. And let me just say today, no matter how strong and independent you may feel right now, there'll be a day in your life you're going to need somebody. You're going to need somebody to pray for you because when you open your mouth, no words will come. If the right event happens in your life, you can't even wrap your mind around one word to say, I've been there. I've stood silent before God because I didn't know what to say. I didn't feel like I had a word in my vocabulary that would possibly fit into one slot in a prayer to heaven. I needed somebody at that point that could pray in my stead. Somebody that could not just pray for me, but pray in my stead. Amen, I wanna reap those benefits. I, uh, th- it involves sacrifice. It, it involves the willingness to put the needs of others before our own, and it certainly involves stamina. Amen, you gotta be in there for the long haul. I don't wanna just have another disposable re- relationship. I'm looking for a lifelong commitment. And so if you're willing to risk, and if you're willing to sacrifice, and if you're willing to just press in when all hope is gone, I'll promise you this, you can reap the reward of the community of God, being a part of the family of God. I'm confident of this. You don't agree with everything that goes on in your family. But let me just warn you, don't change families. (laughs) Don't, Don't change families. Because when you get there, you may have one ill satisfied, but there'll be another to take its place. And so the family of God, I'm thankful for the family of God. In all of its imperfections, I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. Can we lift our hands together and our voices? Thank you, Lord. That you're working.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.